0: To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, April 10th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta and joining me to this podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer, Chris Evangelista.
2: Hello, folks.
1: Okay, let's jump right into it. This We haven't talked about news at all this week. There's been a lot of stuff to break over the last five days, including the truth behind the cat's butthole cut. Chris, uh, tell us about this and recap the situation thus far.
2: Okay, so a few, uh, I guess it was last month or a few weeks ago, this rumor started spreading around the internet that there was an early cut of cats, the now infamous box office flop that had uh, buttholes in it. All the, all the, all the cats with their digital fur also had digital buttholes and uh, the rumor spread very quickly. And none of us were sure if it was real or just a joke. It seemed kind of like a joke it was hard to believe but we weren't 100 percent sure so we didn't initially report on it um eventually uh recently the the daily beast did the legwork and and got got the full story and apparently there really was a a cut where you could see buttholes on the cats and (laughs) uh the daily beast story it only spends a small amount of time on, on the butthole thing. And instead it points out that, you know, overall the entire experience of making that movie was just a nightmare for the visual effects animators, uh, primarily because of director Tom Hooper, who based on these stories, apparently just didn't realize how visual effects worked. Um, for example, they would try and show him, you know, pre-viz stuff and obviously pre-viz. Uh, footage isn't you know finished quote-unquote it's not refined it's it's a it's a blueprint of what you're going to get and tom Hooper didn't understand that and he would look at that footage and be like why does this look so bad i want to see what the fur actually looks like so they literally had to render every single pre-visual thing beforehand because tom Hooper didn't understand how it worked so they spent all this time just (laughs) trying to placate what tom hooper wanted and apparently he was very just abusive to everyone working on the film and it was it was not a good experience overall so there you have it cat cat's butthole cut it did exist at one point it's unlikely we'll ever see it because according to this story what i find most interesting about the story is no one uh, flat out said put some buttholes on these cats it just apparently happened like an organic thing like someone just decided to do it and they they caught it, and they're like, "Oh boy, we have to, we have to erase all these buttholes." So I don't think we're ever going to see the butthole cut because it looks like they, they cleaned it up before it ever got anywhere. There was another person
1: that claimed that there were shots of cats with the buttholes, but they weren't composited into the actual film itself. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's. <laughs> I know we're going a little bit too deep on the butthole cut, but yes, like we're I'm going just wondering too far
2: into the buttholes here. <laughs>
1: I, I mean, I just feel like you know, with the Snyder cut, we we need to we need to find come to an answer here, Chris. Like, is there an actual butthole cut, or would it take no. millions of dollars to make this butthole cut a reality?
2: I f- I really don't think there is a butthole cut. I think. A very rough cut of the film had some buttholes in it. Uh, <laughs> they edited those out and uh, left them on a, you know, the digital cutting room floor. That said, maybe someone uh, didn't empty their recycling bin and they they have that footage just sitting there on their desktop, and they'll leak it one day, and uh, and <laughs> a world peace will be achieved. That's all we needed. was the, the butthole cut to be released. We
1: need like the big tell-all. Of, of this production we need like an oral history and like five. i would
2: years. love like a, a book an entire book because i'm sure there's more stories like it, it, if this stuff is true and i believe it's true because the daily beast is a you know a reputable source if this is true i'm i'm sure there are more stories that we don't know about about the making of this movie and i would love like a tell-all book someday and maybe we'll get it
1: okay let's move on and talk about a trio of projects that uh Probably don't need to happen, shouldn't happen, we didn't think was was going to happen. Let's start out first with a prequel to Southland Tales. Ben, tell us about that.
0: Yeah, so Southland Tales, for those of you who don't know, is directed by Richard Kelly, who directed Donnie Darko. I think it was his second feature film... Uh, It premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, and the audience there did not react well to the movie. And it was drastically recut before hitting theaters. I think it came out in late 2007. And, uh, yeah, this movie is sort of a mess, but I think in recent years it's sort of grown to become a little bit more of a cult hit. It did not do very well at the box office at all. Uh, Richard Kelly has only directed one other movie since then, and that was in 2009. But recently, um, uh, Southland Tales became available on the streaming platform Mubi, and so Kelly did like this big live tweet, and he explained that he has actually completed 4K restorations of both the theatrical and the cans version of... Uh, of southland tales but the the interesting thing is he said uh, i've completed an ambitious new script for a a new film a prequel film um this is actually something he's been talking about for about 10 years so he says southland tales is a six chapter saga the existing film covers the second half i wrote graphic novels that cover the first three chapters and now he has this new script And he says, my hope is to direct a new Southland Tales prequel film using a hybrid of animation and live action. This new film could be released in tandem with an expanded version of the existing film with significant new content. If it happens, the animated portion of the film would cover the 2008 events over the three days beginning on June 30th, when one of the characters wakes up in the Nevada desert with amnesia and then embarks on a journey through Vegas before returning to L.A., You can read more about all the actual details (laughs) of this stuff uh, at the article that we'll link in the show notes. Uh, Southland Tales is a movie that is so sort of confusing. And um, man, it's just, it really like defies expectation and and really the, uh, the ability to describe it easily. (laughs) So I I could not even give you a plot summary right now if I wanted to, but um, I I don't know about you guys, but I, I saw this movie probably about 2010 or so. And did not quote-unquote get it at all but I am interested in sort of rewatching it especially if there is going to be new material added to this so uh yeah that's the story it seems like Richard Kelly has been spending a significant amount of his time you know I guess trying to build out this Southland Tales universe
1: yeah I don't know about you guys but when Donnie Darko came out like that was kind of at the point i was kind of discovering like sundance and like the independent cinema and that movie like, you know, there's so many like theories and theorizing you can have about that like and it really felt like richard kelly was the emergence of a of a, a new auteur filmmaker and he announced southland tales and he announced this whole plan which at the time sounded kind of like star wars he's gonna do you know the first three chapters are gonna be in comics and then the next three chapters are gonna be in the form of this movie and i remember buying these these graphic novels and they're so incomprehensible the film is incomprehensible i will give it this though it is so bold and interesting i think it's worth watching but it's like so weird chris what, what is your feeling on southland tales
2: yeah i'm uh i i appreciate what it's trying to do. And I actually think like the rock is really good in it. It's like one of the rare times where he actually is trying to act and not just be like the rock. So he's actually like giving a good performance. And I appreciate how you know weird it is, but the movie itself is a mess. It's just a total mess. And I really don't know where I stand on Richard Kelly. Cause like you when when Donnie Darko came out, it was a huge deal. I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And then he released, the Donnie Darko oh, director's God. cut, which was just awful, <laughs> and it was like, you know, the version the version of Donnie Darko that came out was the heavily edited one that the producers and the studio made him edit, and his director's cut, his actual vision, was actually kind of terrible. So he's he actually seems like someone who needs to be reined in. You know, there are some filmmakers who deserve to do whatever they want, and then there are some who actually need some guidance, and I think he falls into that category because the Donnie Darko director's cut is just like ruins the movie. So I kind of, you know, I feel like he's just like, he, he wasted his potential a little bit.
1: Yeah. That director's cut. I remember seeing that in opening night at like the Coolidge corner theater in Boston. And I was so excited and so disappointed in the end because like that movie tries to answer all the questions that people had, which I think was part of the reason that, you know, Donnie Darko in the first place was so great. Um, I'm just wondering, is there an audience for *Southland Tales prequel film? I mean, even in the home video market, I, I can't imagine that there's enough of an audience to, you know, make this this combination of live action and animation profitable. Ben, what do you think?
0: Man, I don't know. Yeah, it, I mean... I, like you guys, I appreciate the the audacity behind this whole thing. And I, I kind of hope that somebody out there, you know, we're in an age where there are more outlets than ever that are looking for content. So if somebody has some extra money and wants to throw it Richard Kelly's way, I would be interested in watching the end result, even if it is, you know, disastrous or, or whatever. But um, I, I think last year he showed the can cut uh, of Southland Tales at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art and said, Uh, there is a new studio in place to finally do a new, hopefully expanded and complete version of the film. Uh, There are animation techniques, a lot of new VFX technology. We're in the age of streamers. There's new ways to digest narrative. So it sounds like he was in talks last year with somebody, a new studio to maybe be the the home for this thing. So hopefully somebody steps up and, and we see, you know, the result of all this work.
1: Yeah. Maybe we'll get it on Quibi cut into... 50 chapters a movie in 50 chapters (laughs) no okay another project that uh, we learned about this week is they are remaking the others chris why right yeah why is a
2: good question and i don't have an answer and i really hope this goes the way of that uh proposed memento remake which got announced a few years ago and then never happened because it's just a bad idea all around the the others is this really good 2001 uh, nicole kidman uh, movie you know it's a it's a classic gothic ghost story and it, it's set like right after world war ii in this big mansion that may or may not be haunted i won't you know i feel like everyone knows by now i won't spoil it for you <laughs> but um for some reason they're remaking it and it's going to be a modern remake which immediately ruins like all the cool atmosphere of the original which you know had that old-timey ghost story feel to it and i also feel like like i said everyone knows that twist so if it's gonna have the same twist what's the point it would be like remaking the sixth sense basically there's really no point to do that the original stands on its own we don't need this remake um and there's really not a whole lot of detail there's no like writer attached yet there's no director uh there's no cast there's there's really nothing attached we just know this this um, production company bought the rights to the remake, and, that, and that's really all there is at this moment. And hopefully it goes nowhere.
1: You know, usually when Hollywood announces that they're remaking a film, I, I try to see the possibility of, like, the positive likeness of it. Like, is there some kind of opportunity here to do something with the others that the original film didn't do? And I really don't think that there's anything. Like the, usually I can find something, but the, it just seems like this would be making a a subpar version. There's like no way to top the original. There's no way to to best out the the cast, the the direction. They're uh, setting it in modern times. I don't know. It just seems like a bad idea all around. Uh, okay, let's move on. Let's talk about Doogie Howser, which is getting a reboot for Disney Plus, uh, but they're doing a little bit of a spin on it. Ben, tell us about it.
0: Yeah, so I don't know if you guys remember this, but this was a little bit before my time. But in 1989, there was a popular ABC sitcom called Doogie Hauser MD, which starred Neil Patrick Harris as a very young, I think it was like a 15, a teenage, uh, a doctor, like, practicing medicine at a hospital. Um, so evidently, Disney Plus is going to be having a new Doogie Hauser show. It's actually called Doogie Kialoa MD, because this version is going to be set in Hawaii and focus on a half-Asian, half-white 16-year-old girl who works as a doctor. Um, the show is going to be run by Courtney Kang, who is a veteran of shows like Fresh Off the Boat and How I Met Your Mother, where she actually worked with Neil Patrick Harris. So uh, it's unclear if neil patrick harris himself is going to show up in this show i would not be remotely (laughs) surprised if he does my big question is like you know doogie hauser was a hit in the late 80s and early 90s so do disney plus audiences like primarily young people actually care about this this uh, brand at all because like obviously i understand the concept of name recognition and familiar ip and all that stuff but how many 16 year olds or, or you know teenagers do you know who have ever even heard of this show, let alone seen an episode of it? So I, I just I'm not quite sure why the, uh, the Doogie Hauser brand is one that's in need of resuscitation, but um, here we are.
1: Well, well, the weird thing here is it's not even like they're calling it Doogie Hauser because her name is a different name, right? It's Doogie. Something else, do- right?
0: The Kialoa MD that's the working title, so we don't know, I guess, any other details about the character beyond that, really. Um, yeah. but I, yeah, I don't, I don't is...
1: mean to be like racially dismissive in any way, but that, that does not roll off the tongue very easily. Like, that is not something like I'd be like, Mom, can you DVR? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just I guess call it Doogie, maybe, but even then, you're right. Like, do people recognize? Doogie Howser? Like, do people that watch Disney Plus even know what Doogie Howser is?
0: Right. I don't, I mean, I guess the idea is, like, parents who grew up watching the show, which, again, are, like, older than – they would have to be in their, like, late 30s, early 40s or something at the, at the young end are maybe just, like, scrolling around, clicking through Disney Plus, and then they see that a new version is on and convince their kids to watch it with them. It just seems like an unlikely situation <laughs> to me, but I, what do I know? I mean, I, I guess the better question
1: here, Ben is, does this, the premise of the show, does this like, if I remember growing up with Doogie Hazard. I, I wasn't a big fan of Doogie Hazard, but I remember seeing a few episodes and it was a big thing at the time. It was a, it was a, it felt, it feels now to me like it was a concept of its time. Like it was something that you could watch during like the nineties or whatever, uh, does this, this idea, like, is this something that people, are, teens, are going to want to watch today? I mean, people that are, you know, these are people, you know, watching YouTube and TikTok. Are they really going to watch a teenage doctor on Disney Plus?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think the the novelty of of seeing a young person doing something professional has sort of worn off because of the onslaught of content options that we have. And like you said, there are so many like how-to videos and stuff like that that people can watch and have been watching on streaming services and whatever uh, where, yeah, I I feel like the novelty, uh, maybe the the ship has sailed on a Doogie Howser reboot, but um, I, I guess this is moving forward. So we'll see how far it goes.
1: We've been talking a lot recently about the launch of quibi a new online service that streams quick bite content Uh, and now we got the first numbers of how well the service is doing chris is quibi doing well
2: uh not really um to be fair when this story broke everyone was comparing it to the launch of disney plus which really doesn't seem Fairs because disney is such a huge brand and they have such you know yeah. a legacy D- that D- said D- disney uh, plus
1: we should say just hit 50 million sub- subscribers downloads something like that something 50, like that. 50 million something right. and
2: Whereas Quibi on its first day had only 300,000 user downloads of the app. So again, that's, it's not exactly terrible, but it's not great either, especially since Quibi cost a lot of money and everyone is stuck at home right now. So everyone's looking for content, but I kind of feel like fate kind of got in the way of Quibi because through no fault of their own their their whole design is you know stuff you're supposed to watch on the go and no one is on the go right now so you know they maybe they should have delayed their launch until we're all like back commuting to places again i don't know but uh either way it just didn't (laughs) it did not have a huge impact um you know that could always change if word of mouth is good but I, I don't know if it is. I don't, I don't really see many people talking about Quibi the way people you know talk about other streaming services. So uh, I don't know. it's Things aren't great in Quibi land. I feel like I
1: heard more people talking about Apple TV Plus shows than they are talking about Quibi shows, which is pretty sad. Uh, you know, I feel like they should have pivoted. I feel like they should have created a desktop app or at least allowed users to stream their phone to their like apple tvs and google whatevers uh it like seems stupid especially the time that we're living in now
2: to not allow that uh right uh, and you also you can't screenshot stuff which seems like a big mistake because people love to screenshot you know stuff from netflix and, and share it and turn it into memes and stuff and Quibi uh, blocks screenshots, so it's like that seems like a a, a missed opportunity too, because like you could be easily spreading, like look at this thing from Quibi, but no one can do that. So it's like I don't know, they just didn't think this through. Yeah, I mean,
1: I hate to like dismiss Quibi, all right. And I've been actually someone that's been trying to look at the good in Quibi, like the, the, Quibi could offer us some some good streaming, uh, you know, shows and stuff like that. But three hundred thousand, like. More people are reading slash film on a daily basis than are you know watching Quibi. That's I, I don't mean to dismiss the site that we work for, but like you know this is like a big more people are reading
2: to- our shit than watching Quibi. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean we 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 don't have uh, Hemsworth and. Uh,
2: <laughs> what, whatever. Right. There's no yeah. Sophie Turner on Slashfilm.com. <laughs> yeah,
0: I
1: don't know. It's just crazy.
0: Okay. And Look. one of those three hundred thousand is me, and I downloaded it on the day that it launched, but I have not actually watched anything yet. So I, I don't really think that that should count. But
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think the the reason why that number is out there is there's Quibi's not going to advertise how many people have, are actually watching, so I think they can only go based on like the app downloads. So I think that's probably yeah, like, yeah, yeah uh, true. So anyways, uh, let's move on to our final story. Let's talk about Tiger King. This is a, a phenom. This is something that broke out on Netflix and I, I don't know, maybe it was the right time, the right place. Uh, everybody was looking for content to binge watch uh, at a time where everybody was quarantined and, and self-isolating. But like this thing kind of became like a huge deal. So I guess the question is, how popular is Tiger King?
2: Tiger King is so popular that it did better than Stranger Things 2, at least in in a 10-day uh, time frame. Uh, more people watched Tiger King over its first 10 days streaming than watched Stranger Things 2. And it actually came close to almost being as many viewers in that same 10-day t- period as Stranger Things Season 3, too. So it's it's big um the interesting thing is it didn't launch big it actually had kind of a soft launch but word of mouth was so good because you know everyone's just talking about how friggin crazy it is that uh it just built up this this um this following so uh and now it's it's sort of like branching off um there's a there's a quote unquote sequel series now coming from Investigation Discovery, which is a channel that specializes in uh, like true crime. And also, Fox is airing an hour long special from TMZ about it as well. And also, Netflix is doing like a, I don't know what you would call it, a, a discussion show too. So there's like a reunion of, of sorts. Right. There's lots of Tiger King content out there. Are are we
1: starting to feel all Tiger Kinged out at this point?
2: Uh I am a little bit. I, I you know, I I admit that I I liked it when I watched it and I had a good time watching it because it was so like jaw-dropping, but the internet has kind of like turned Joe Exotic, that main character, main character, main guy, into like this folk hero, and he's really not. He's a bad person everyone in that documentary is is like a piece of shit basically and it seems like people are kind of ignoring that and they're like turning Joe Exotic into like a hero and they're kind of like ah you know they're all turning against Carol Baskin and like I get not liking her but you shouldn't like him either and so it's like this internet reaction has kind of like soured me on the on the whole thing
0: is it like the meme potential is too much for people to <laughs> It's, you know, the temptation is too great. You think that's what it is?
2: I guess because he himself is like a walking meme. So I can under I can see that. But it's, you know, and I also feel like even though I did enjoy the docuseries, I do think it glosses over a lot of stuff. It really doesn't cover, you know, the animal abuse and stuff like that. And I feel like if it had focused on that a little more, people would, you know, be getting that Joe Exotic yeah. is a bad person. But
1: I don't know. And and it also cuts out some of, like, the racism and...
2: uh, Right. There's, like, a lot of footage. You can even find some of it online where he's just saying, like, blatantly racist stuff. And, uh, you know, I can understand not wanting to put all of that in this series, but there's, like, none of it at all. There's not even, like, a hint of his racism in the series. So it's kind of... I don't want to say the filmmakers tried to make him look good because they didn't. They do point out that, you know, he's a lunatic, for lack of a better word. But maybe it's too... I don't want to use the word subtle because that show is anything but subtle, but apparently it is too subtle for some viewers.
1: Maybe it's just that uh, American audiences can't be trusted to to not, you know, latch on to s- some kind of character in in a, I don't know. It, it's I, I mean, I, you know, look at who's president right now. Maybe you're right. Maybe people people yeah. just love terrible
2: people right now. I don't know.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that and at the same time I'm wondering like if they had included like some of that racist stuff and the animal abuse like would would people still be kind of doing what they're doing with Tiger King and kind of elevating Joe.
2: Yeah, I don't think so. At the same time I also feel like if they had left all that stuff in there, the show probably wouldn't be as popular as it yeah. is because it, it would be so much bleaker. So it's like maybe the filmmakers just made that decision. They were like we need to find a way to make this a hit. And the only way we can do that is if we tone some of this down, I don't know. Yeah.
1: I I do think tiger King came at the, the exact right time, like where we're all kind of like self isolating, we're suffering. And it's like this, this train crash outside the window. And we're like, Oh, look at that. That's much worse than what we have. (laughs) You know? Like, so I, I feel like it's that kind of thing. Uh, Are, are you so memed out over this that you're going to, are you going to watch the reunion special?
2: Oh, I mean, even if I wasn't, I, I don't really care about those things, like, those, like, post shows where it's, like, a, a basically it's, like, a live, or, like, a video podcast, basically, where they just get people together and sit around and talk. Like, I, I've never been interested in that. Like, you know, Walking Dead had The Talking Dead, and there's, like, a Stranger Things one. I That stuff just never really appeals to me for some reason. Yeah. it It, it is.
1: It, it can be annoying. Like, there's some, like, reality shows that I, I watch that have it. But at times, like... These documentary series, like, are filmed over the course of a long period of time, and usually the editing process is so long that by the time it airs, so much has happened since the the end of the, the series or the movie that I, I'm kind of curious, like, what has happened to these people. But then again, in the last two weeks, I feel like I've read enough news articles to get updates on everybody involved in the show, so maybe I don't need Not it. Not to now. mention,
2: like... Not to mention, like I said, all those people are terrible. Like, I don't want to have them all sitting around, like, yucking it up with Joel McHale. Like, oh, you guys are wacky. Like, they're bad people. I don't, you know, they don't deserve to be reunited for a jokey, comical, you know, sit down. They really, they should all be in jail, honestly. So I, I don't, I don't know what the appeal is there. Okay. That brings us to the end of today's
1: show. You can find this podcast published three times a week on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at com. And if you can, head on over to our iTunes page, give us a review, rate us five stars, tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Monday.